Welcome back to the podcast, Conversations in Adult and Further Education. We've had a bit of a hiatus here. It's been over a year since we put out any episodes. Um, It's been a tough year for people and I suppose our minds have been elsewhere. But recently I received a message from somebody who said they found great value in the podcasts uh, for their own studies and it you know what it was really the kick up the the backside I needed to get started again because this is something I've been wanting to get back to for a while so thank you to Bernard you know who, who you are but today's episode we're going to talk to Dr Maeve O'Grady about recognition of prior learning or RPL so Maeve welcome back to the podcast it's been a while since we've done this but I'm delighted that we're we're back and chatting again and today we're going to ch- chat about recognition of prior learning or RPL. Um, so I'm going to get you to tell me what what RPL is. Thank you, Karen. Um, and uh, I hope um, I'm going to be, I will be concise because I'm so interested in, in the area of recognition of prior learning and it can mean several different things. But when um, adults are looking to apply for a course, for example, in higher education and also in further education, by the way, they often want to know uh, what can they get for their experience? Okay, and the answer is probably little or nothing. However, (laughs) what they can get for their prior learning and formal education can only recognize the learning because that's the business we're in. Mm -hmm. And learning can happen in uh, several different sites. It can happen in the formal setting of colleges, doing courses, getting certificates. It can happen in the workplace, Uh, one day training, um, seminars, um, online courses, uh, sitting by Nelly, the, 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 the origins of the apprenticeship system. And it can happen um, incidentally uh, when we face uh, big transitions in our lives. So moving, um, emigrating, for example, uh, learning to cope with a different culture, uh, learning to fit into other strange systems, discovering about ourselves, parenthood, my goodness, <laughs> the amount of learning on becoming a parent. So big life transitions can give rise to huge uh, learning. But the problem is that's while, while adults present with fantastic learning, mm-hmm. the provider, the higher education provider is only, must only look for that bit that's relevant. So if you want to come back and do a course and start maybe on the second year of the course, you have to show that your learning is equivalent to the first year of the course. If you don't, you will struggle, especially for courses that are designed within the national framework of qualifications that follow on the levels. So higher education kicks off with level six. And then there's a follow-on year, level seven, and then a follow-on year or year and a half. And the learning is scaffold, scaffolded. It's, it's, it's built very carefully so that the first year gives you the foundation skills and the next years build on that. 
And if you skip, you may struggle and nobody wants to hear that. Okay, okay. So you're saying we have, you've given me great examples there of adults learning throughout their life. Some of those are formal learning situations where they would have received certification um, and some of those are informal. So what I'm hearing from you is higher education institutes recognise the formal, what's <laughs> certifiable, what's measurable. Because people, and Irish people generally only think actually in terms of the formal. Mm -hmm. um, have I got a certificate for? Yeah. They, they will actually let the piece of paper speak or attest to their learning. But actually, the best evidence, in other words, like a certificate, um, the best evidence is that generated by the individual. Yes. But that's very hard to do, to identify the learning from experiences or the learning they've got out of short uh, continuous professional development courses. In other words, what did they learn? What did they do with it? And what changed as a result? So the, the learner has to either use formal certified or certificated learning or do the work on naming that learning yeah. themselves. And then, but the problem about matching it is the, the programs in higher education and in further education, they're written in a formal shared language, in an academic language. And unless you've actually um, been involved in the, in the preparation, you mightn't be sure what that means. What exactly is it I have to match? Okay. And that's where it can be a bit problematic. Okay. That makes sense because I've heard from some of our learners. You take an example. Our learners often come with years and years of experience in their profession, but they don't have the qualifications or the certificates to match that. And they can get quite disheartened if they apply for RPL or they think they might be eligible for RPL and have difficulty naming that. But they recognise they have years of experience and are probably fabulous tutors. But it's very hard to do the matching to the formal structures. It is, it is, uh, because of the way we present the formal structures. Okay. Um, when somebody starts on a course, it becomes much less formal. It, 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 it becomes understandable. It gets broken down into chunks and this is what it means, yes. right? But when you're outside that, and the trouble is in every school disciplinary area, it's expressed differently. The language is used differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're talking English, but sometimes <laughs> it feels like a foreign language. So it's understanding what is being looked for. And also people have an expectation that if they do a level six course in the National Framework of Qualifications, that that's a level six course. Any. So any, exactly. And it's not, it has to be in what we call a cognate area. In other words, a similar area. 
Okay, but there's no reason why an individual can't look at a module, for example, on a course. And the best example I ever came across of that was communications. And one applicant was actually saying, okay, discuss, um, apply, demonstrate skills. And the last learning outcome was be able to make a presentation. And he said, can I do a presentation showing all of the rest? And I checked this out with the assessor and the assessor said, perfect, let's have a go. Mm -hmm. And the applicant submitted what was a video then, now to be a, a recording, um, showed work demonstrating and discussing communication skills, okay. ticked all the boxes. Okay but it was done in a workplace setting that made sense to that particular applicant. But that particular applicant understood RPL and went on to use it very, very well. So there's a certain skill in that. So being able to understand the RPL system and how to show that you have met those standards or those learning outcomes in a particular module. There is. It, it means being able to read and understand the academic language and match it. Ironically, people with other qualifications can't do that. <laughs> In my okay. experience, okay. it's people who actually plan and actively manage their own experiential learning. And that's a key skill as well. I have to say we're developing um, an online RPL portal. Um, it's at a very, very early stage of development at the moment. And that's designed to show the criteria, in other words, the learning outcomes, but actually explain them so that in computer science, uh, a certain learning outcome means a particular thing. Okay. In an adult and further education course, it's, it's completely different, but it's explained for the applicant. And we're doing that in the hope that it's going to be far more straightforward because an awful lot of applicants, they don't want to bother people. They're busy people yes. themselves and then they're very respectful of administrators' times, lecturers' times. So the more we can actually do to explain this is what we're looking for, this is what this mm -hmm. means, and then give the applicant the chance to organize the information, upload relevant things like recordings or reports they've been involved in or community projects they were involved in, say what their role and responsibility was. And in other words, match the learning outcomes. And that's how to do it successfully. And have a go. If there isn't enough, an assessor can always get back to you. That's very interesting. So at some stage, there will be a place where students who want to apply for RPL can go to to develop the skills or to recognize how to interpret learning outcomes and how to match them? There will be, um, I would say by this time next year. Great. But it, Great. it means like course teams have to do the work in configuring the portal, call them destination awards, because if an applicant starts off by saying, what can you give me for my prior learning? And we say, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're in the chicken and egg situation and yes. at least this will lay out the programs that are welcoming non-standard applications 
Yeah. And it also implies that somebody applying for RPL has to do some work up front, interpreting their own learning and being able to match it to what's yeah. on offer. And that is a kind of a higher order skill. It's an organisation yeah. yeah. skill. It's a communication skill. And what we find is if the person has done what we call their own portfolio of prior learning, in other words, they've yeah. got their, their CV, they've extended their CV, they've put the bits of evidence to support what's in the CV, then applying for something, like you would when you're going for a job, you tailor make it. You don't throw everything in <laughs> because the older a person is, the more they've got to throw in, right? Yeah. But you select the yes. relevant bits. Yeah. And that's what higher education and further education is looking for. And Karen, I have the example of somebody who did that. And he actually started with the evidence, including photographs. Okay. And one of the photographs was of a small hovercraft. And I oh. said to him, what's, what's the story with the hovercraft? He says, I built it. I said, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> He got his place on his engineering course. You okay. can imagine. Yes. And that, yeah. that simple yeah. piece of evidence yeah. hit so many of the criteria. Yeah. But often the person themselves mightn't know that until they dig deeper into the criteria. And if the, the, the evidence and the facts are already organized, then they could be easily selected. Yeah. But if you've never done a CV or you haven't done one for 10 years, never yeah. mind sort out evidence to support it, it can be very off-putting because people yes. are generally very busy. So it's about having that kind of self-recognition mindset. Okay, let's see what I've got here. Let's organize it. And if you can organize it for yourself, first of all, you self-recognize, you recognize your own learning achievements. It is great. It's a real confidence booster. There's no blowing your own trumpet about this. This is private. This is personal. But it's a good reminder. These are the facts. These are the experiences that gave rise to that learning. And there's the evidence that proves it. So it's not just me feeling I'm boasting. It's actually doing it for yourself. So it's outside yourself. You can see it. And when you can see it, when you've named all those facts and organized the information, it's it's a transformational experience in its own right. But it's much, much easier to get recognition from, say, um, getting onto a course or going for a promotion. Mm -hmm. And I'd imagine all of those higher order skills that you talked about will serve a student very well on a course if they've done all of that work before. They, it, their RPL really favors people with what we call the generic skills that underpin success in higher education. Okay. Um, group work. Now, that doesn't necessarily come in into putting a portfolio of prior learning together. But the others do. Um, being able to organize information or materials, that's the crucial skill. It depends on the nature of the occupation or your interests or what you spend time on. Like the artist's portfolio, for example, is the evidence of what they have done as an indication of what they can do. And of course, the communication of that, the organization of it um, is very important. It shows the level of the skill and that's communication, organization, and teamwork. 
they are the three generic skills that an awful lot of adults have that are they might be called as soft skills, but they underpin participation in higher education. So yes, RPL favors people with good organization and communication skills. Yeah. So you were saying hopefully this time next year there will be an online portal whereby people can do this. But for now, where do people go if they think they might be eligible for RPL on some modules or on some courses? What are the steps? Right. First of all, we're doing two developments. One is the online portal, but related to that will be an online um, RPL and study skills module okay. that people considering RPL will actually be able to undertake at very low cost or no cost. And oh, again, it's time next year that and that explains the whole system and how to do it. So they're guided through the process. They'll, exactly. They'll, because some people need to understand what's at the other end of it. But in the meantime, if somebody wants to know what can they get for their prior learning, in other words, the general inquiry, that is hit or miss. They need to talk to people in the various schools, okay. in the various areas of practice and actually get feedback. But they, if they're in a workplace, for example, there will probably be training pathways and what people actually go on to do and they can get advice on that. And it's always about talking to other people and then actually looking on the, the prospectuses, the, the details about courses, the contact points about courses. But administrators are great. Schools' websites are great, okay. the ones who do it. And it's usually the ones who work with adults only. Workplaces are great, okay. especially if you're in the type of workplace that encourages learning. I always recommend if somebody is serious about signing on a course to give one or two years doing the research, doing the preparation, because it's not just about getting onto the course, but it's about having the confidence that you can actually meet the requirements and you'll be able to cope, that you'll be able to carve out the space in your own life because you need it. It'll be tough. All our courses yeah. are challenging. They make yeah. us do things we might not have done before. So all of that has to be worked out as well as the RPL bit. Okay. One or two years sounds like a lot, but you know what? Most people I talk to will say that they've been thinking about this for years. Yes. And we also have the adult educational guidance services available in all the ETBs around Ireland. But yes. unfortunately, they're limited in what they can do and their reach. So people in further education have great access to them, but you might even have to wait for an appointment. And they're, again, their information officers are a great source of information and support. It's really worthwhile, I find, doing the groundwork so that by the time an adult actually starts on the course, they know they deserve that place. They know they have a sufficient level of skills to be able to cope with it. Because when push comes to shove, you need to know you can. And you can if you think you can. You can't if you think you can't. Either way, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so groundwork is so important, whether it's even just starting a course or going through the RPL process, that that taking your time to look at your own skills and, and your own life experiences is and even if it never leads to going on to a course, yeah. just organizing your own life experiences, yes. doing your portfolio. Charles Handy, the management um, guru, 
says it's an essential skill for coping with change because when a new challenge comes down the line you're then working from a position of strength you know what your strengths are and you can build on them even if you feel you're stepping into a completely different field that's great it's it's a highly recommended process in its own right (laughs) yes yep so for anyone listening you can consider doing this anyway even if you're not intending to to start a course or to go through an RPL process, this is a useful exercise anyway. Yes, because it seems like the, the job for life is pretty yeah. much gone. Yeah. And we need to be kind of actively managing our own career. There's a sociologist, Anthony Giddens, says um, everybody now is forced into making choices in their lives mm-hmm. and not making a choice is a choice in itself. So you might yes. as well get on top of it, make the most yeah. of it, milk it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've learned a lot about RPL in this in this conversation. Is there anything else you want to say about RPL before we finish up? Yeah, and a lot of people, when they are applying on the basis of um, certified learning, they may not know where that prior certified learning sits in terms of the national framework of qualifications. They may have qualified or done these courses before the existence of the national framework. So assessors, when they get an application, they have to look at the level of the learning, the type of the learning. In other words, is it relevant? The authenticity of the learning. In other words, is it demonstrably the work and the learning of that person? The currency of the learning. In other words, is it up to date enough? Because some areas of knowledge are very fast moving. Computer science, for example. Others are slower moving. Mm-hmm. So this is what the assessor has to do. And often if a person is nearly there, they'll be given an opportunity or an indication of what they can do to bring their learning up to date in order to okay. get the recognition they're looking for. Great. So just before we finish up, I want to, to publicly uh, congratulate you because Maeve is retiring in how many weeks? Well, yeah, it's it's about four or five weeks now. Yes. Weeks. So. Um, this could be our last podcast, but I'm hope I'm hoping it's not. I'm hoping I can get you back in here, maybe I through do. your work in community education, and that we we can have more conversations in future. I'd love that, Karen. <laughs> thank you very much, and thank you for asking me to do this podcast. <laughs>